0: Welcome to the Safe Haven Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda. The Safe Haven Podcast is a space free to be real, raw, emotional, vulnerable, hilarious, and/or completely carefree. This podcast offers a space for stories to be shared about the lights and darks, highs and lows of life in a judgment-free zone. Join me and my powerful guests as we dive into a variety of conversations and topics. Listen from where you are, as you are. Think. Laugh and cry along with us, whether you're in your car, in your kitchen, chasing your kids, running your business, caregiving for someone that you love, getting a mani-pedi while you're in the hospital, a treatment center, sitting on the deck, on the dock or out for a run. These weekly stories and messages will hit you right in the heart, fill up your cup and recharge your spirits. And yes, just like I start every podcast, you you can probably hear the smile on my face because today I'm actually introducing someone that I would consider to be a new-ish friend to me because I don't get to see you often. And Karen Orr joins me today, a friend who I met through Jessica Lee, one of my besties, in 2015 at a potluck. So welcome to the Safe Haven Podcast, Karen. Thanks for having me. Yay! And uh, we are in your beautiful space, your beautiful apartment just outside of Vancouver, currently waiting for a quiche to it's, cook? It's going to beep any minute. Any minute. I'm ready for the beep. I'm so ready for the beep. <laughs> me too. Me too. And we actually have our beautiful friend Jessica on standby to do the switch over of the timer and temperature settings. I got it, guys. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Jess. I got the instructions. <laughs> Thanks, I girl. I them, but I got them. Yeah, this is perfect. Don't worry, we got you. Mm-hmm. So what is in this
1: quiche? Um, I'll tell you because it was top secret, but since you asked me nicely. <laughs> bacon a whole package oh we love
0: that there's the beep we heard the beep it. thanks Jess um three hours at 600 degrees <laughs> got it. perfect a good thing we wrote it down for her
1: perfect oh my goodness <laughs> this quiche has actually it calls for three quarters of a package of bacon in my recipe book mm-hmm. that I wrote down by myself <laughs> Because I end up going through a whole package of bacon and eating about a quarter of it. I do the same While thing I'm making this Every thing. time I make yeah. it, for sure. Yeah. Bacon, Gruyere, red onions, Gruyere. green onions, Gruyere. It's a cheese. Ooh. Okay. Mm. I'm into it. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like Parmesan and Swiss cheese mixed together.
0: Sounds really good.
1: It It is. And
0: you made the crust, or the pie crust. I sure did. I made it at 10 a.m. this morning. You goddess. Yeah. 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 Okay, amazing. So you have clearly so many talents. You're a goddess in the kitchen. <laughs> thanks. Oh gosh. Well, I'll, I'll obviously after we have this munch, I'll be able to like put in the podcast notes just how good it was, but I won't tell the people that aren't listening what your secret. Okay, thanks. Is. Okay. Uh, anyway, so let's get into this. So, hello, Jess. <laughs> okay. So let's chat. We, I would love to chit chat with you about your life and your job. You've got a nursing job and you've been nursing for 10 years.
1: 10 years at the same hospital. That's
0: impressive. Wow. Do you think that a lot of nurses actually spend their entire career in the same hospital?
1: I mean, it's, it's hard to say, but a lot of the women I know probably don't because they end up having babies and then... That affects being able to work night shifts, Mm -hmm. and if you can't work a night shift,
0: then you can't work on my unit
1: in particular.
0: Okay, so elaborate a little bit on that. What's your unit?
1: My unit is the intensive care unit. Okay. So critical care is my area of expertise. I've Mm -hmm. been there for over six years. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, you have to work days and nights. That's part of the job. And if you can't work those hours, then maybe get a job elsewhere.
0: Yeah, holy... Yeah. When is a typical shift? Is it 12 hours? My shifts are
1: technically 12 hour, 15 minutes because we get paid for handover. But you're usually on the floor
0: for at least 12 and a half hours a shift. Wow. Yeah. And you're up obviously that entire time. It's not like Grey's Anatomy where they have naps.
1: Well, hey. (laughs) Or lots of sets in the closets.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're not even going there.
1: (laughs) I'm like, oh, no, don't. You didn't just say that. No, I didn't. If those hospital well, walls we could just, talk. Like,
0: yeah, I was just going to say, we just have another part two podcast. <laughs> and I'm
1: just going to have a little sip of wine.
0: <laughs> Amazing. This is, you know, next level. Because I think of all of these shows that are on TV that just glorify certain things that go on in certain work locations. And then you just, it makes you wonder, I mean, does that happen?
1: You know, funny enough, Grey's Anatomy just sort of started when I was in grade 12. Ooh. Thinking about what? universities i'm going to apply to and everything and it really glorified hospital work yeah. and nurses and doctors so and instead of
0: being an accountant you're like
1: i am screw that i'm <laughs> gonna be a nurse <laughs> oh
0: mcdreamy mcsteamy all of these guys oh my sign I love up. this. so you've been a nurse for 10 years and you work in the icu so yeah. critical care you must see a lot of really scary things.
1: We see some pretty scary things. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Some pretty scary situations
1: and patients. For sure.
0: Yeah. What would you say, I guess, in your career has been kind of the most recurring or something that you find that you deal with the most in your career?
1: Well, working in Vancouver in
0: particular, working at my specific hospital,
1: we're the only one in the downtown core. So we get Mm -hmm. a lot of the Um, you know downtown east side population that's definitely a big portion of the population I look after and it certainly changed my perspective on on people in those situations Mm -hmm. you know products of their of their environment so to speak
0: right you mentioned earlier when we were talking about um, you know what types of things maybe go on within the ICU And we kind of made the link from things that I've dealt with, even with teaching alternative ed kids, um, of opiates and opioids and those addictive substances that can really be prevalent in, well, I guess even with the workplaces I've worked in, but I guess for you as a nurse mega too. So the rise of that, what has been something maybe that has really stood out as a, an evening or an event or something that has just been really hard to shake off after your shift?
1: Well, I guess the most distressing thing about the opioid crisis Mm -hmm. specifically, we get a lot of patients on my unit in particular with opioid overdoses, Mm -hmm. you know, who do end up passing away. The most sort of distressing thing for me on is not knowing their identity. Oh, and um we do get that from time to time not knowing the identity of a patient who came into hospital with an overdose and they're on life support and it's looking very grim and you you know that they're not going to make it wow and so it's a matter of time getting the vancouver police department to come in and fingerprint the patients and try to you know find an identity that's that's quite distressing to me, mm-hmm. not knowing who I'm looking after sometimes, especially knowing that decisions are going to have to be made in hours from now, and we don't even know who this person is.
0: Yeah. It can be distressing like that. You know, it's obviously because I'm in a completely different line of work, but that concept in particular, until this moment, has never crossed my mind. I, I don't know, I don't, well obviously I, it's not something that I would just think about on the regular, but... What a scary thought even to think of being the person who's maybe in that crisis, that whether it's the fact that you don't have a wallet or a wallet on you or any sort of ID or a family or a friend that was where you were when you overdosed or or whatever the situation could be. That is, that's terrifying. That is terrifying.
1: Yeah. It is important to carry ID with you, by the way, just a reminder to everyone. Yeah. Um, Because you never know what's going to happen or if you're going to have to go into the hospital and there's obviously everyone in your life should love
0: you. Mm -hmm. Wow. But that just gives me the heebie-jeebies just thinking about that. I, I, I've always believed and I've always been wanting to just scream it at everybody that I think nurses and anyone who works in the medical field is a hero on some level. Like I, I really appreciate everything you do and your whole whole team, like kudos to all of you because thank you. You're definitely super essential. Yeah deaths that happen things with overdoses you're obviously seeing these super distressing things how do you balance that or the part two to that question would be in what ways does your workplace provide opportunities for you to look after your mental health
1: i think the most common thing that happens is during handover when we change shift from day shift to night shift and you're reporting off to the next nurse We unload all of our day. Mm -hmm. You know, when my oncoming nurse comes, I'm going to say, you know, Amanda, I had a really shitty day today. I was running around trying to find the right order set. Um, Keeping a healthy mental state, Mm -hmm. working in a critical care environment is obviously really essential. You can't unload everything that you deal with at work, at home. That's not healthy think we all definitely have a bit of unhealthy coping mechanisms, <laughs> whether that's a glass of wine or something else, something a little stronger. Mm-hmm. But um, definitely unloading with the oncoming nurse, telling them about your day, talking with your colleagues, especially because you can't always talk to your loved ones they don't understand what you right. go through in a day. You know, no one knows exactly what a nurse does. No one knows what a teacher does. No one knows what anyone does unless they're in that same position. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just maintaining your own boundaries yeah, and trying to, trying to not get emotionally attached to the patients. That way you're not as affected with their outcomes.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, but with, it's hard. Do you find that that takes practice or that that varies depending on the patient?
1: It varies on the patient, you know, because sometimes you'll get a cute little old man and he just reminds you of your grandpa. Mm. And then you can't help but want to go above and beyond Mm -hmm. to help this man to give him a warm blanket, to fluff his pillow, give him some extra ice chips in his water. Um, You can't help but get attached to the patients, Mm -hmm. But I guess it takes it does take time and experience to be able to separate yourself emotionally from your day.
0: Yeah.
1: At the beginning, beginning of my career, it was a lot harder yeah. dealing with death, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, but as time has gone on, and I don't want to talk about how many you know dead people I've seen, but dozens and dozens, mm-hmm. um, you just learn to to separate yourself. For me, to be honest, the hardest part is seeing their family photos when people bring in family photos of the patient, because normally they're all on life support. They have tubes in their face. You can't even really see what they look like. They're all disheveled. The men have facial hair when normally they're clean shaven. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not their normal state. And then their lovely family comes in and brings a picture of them, you know, a happier time at their family cottage or whatever on a vacation. And that's the hardest for me to actually see their pictures looking like a normal human being, mm-hmm. because to me, they're more than a patient, but they are my patient. But once I see their picture, what they look like with their dog in their hands or their grandkids wrapped in their arms, then that that really um, affects me emotionally and that makes it hard to separate.
0: Right. Because then you're seeing them as the person and not just the patient. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then... Being able, because we're all humans with hearts and emotions, and then, yeah, that connection could be made between, like you said, you and a grandpa, or you and a best friend, or you and a sibling, or whoever. Exactly. Mega. Yeah, whoa. So if you're, I've always wondered too, for people that work night shift, how do you kind of recoup? Because I think of, I think of, I'm such a nana. I'm usually (laughs) in bed pretty early. How do you prep for a night shift? For me,
1: prepping for a night shift involves downtime during the day. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be socializing with anyone. I'm not going out to, to catch lunch with a girlfriend, or I'm not going to be going to a movie with my boyfriend before a night shift or going out to dinner beforehand. For me, it's about knowing my energy levels mm-hmm. and keeping them contained yeah.
0: and uh, reserving them, reserving for sure. them yeah. before a night shift. Big time. Talking about reserving, I'd love to move into the fact that you have Crohn's. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your Crohn's journey. Well,
1: uh, my Crohn's journey started when I was 16 years old. So it's been 16 years, yeah. half my life. And uh, I probably wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for my Crohn's in my career and everything. Mm-hmm. Every It affected sort of every aspect of my life. Um. What do you want to know exactly?
0: So how like how were you how was your diagnosis or how did your diagnosis come about? What what did you notice was different for people that know nothing about Crohn's? Mm. How did you know something was wrong?
1: I guess The thing is, I didn't know anything was wrong because I didn't have a medical background when I was 16, but I just knew that I wasn't feeling well. Mm -hmm. I was having a lot of symptoms sort of years prior, but it didn't really kick off until my family and I moved down to the States. We moved down there when I was 16 years old, uh, going into grade 11, and everything went downhill from there. I started to lose weight started to have chronic diarrhea that was black wow by the way that's not normal okay. <laughs> to any 16 year old out there you should let someone know I guess with with my experience I was 16 and didn't know that 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 was not normal and was embarrassed and didn't tell anyone but it got to a point I was very very sick mm-hmm. passing out every day I couldn't walk up the stairs I couldn't sleep in my own room on the second floor for a couple
0: months. Wow. And um, So what was the breaking point that you actually were like, okay, I need medical attention here? The
1: breaking point was the day I got my um, graduation pictures taken, which at my school in the States, they take your grad pictures in grade 11 for the grade that are going to be published the next year in grade 12. So at the end of grade 11 in May of 2014, I had my grad pictures taken And I think I passed out afterwards. I had a family doctor appointment afterwards and had blood work done. And in the middle of the night, the lab had called my parents saying that they need to take me to the hospital now um, for a blood transfusion. So I had lost, you know, over half the blood in my body um, from bleeding, slowly bleeding in my stool, which is why it was black for Mm -hmm. many months beforehand. And so, getting my first blood transfusion—that was sort of what started off the. Oh my gosh, what was causing all of this?
0: Yeah, yeah. Holy, just just to double check that because I just wrote it down. Um, 2014. It wasn't 2014. It would have been 2004. <gasps> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, 2004. Yeah. Okay. So 2004. <laughs> and so now it's 2004. You've got this diagnosis. Now you know what's wrong. Yeah. What are the next steps? You're on pills or, you know, how do you have surgeries because you've got Crohn's or what's, what's happening in your intestines? You know, what, what, are, what are the next steps from well, that? Well,
1: the funny thing is actually the day I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, I was also diagnosed with celiac disease. Okay. So it was sort of a double whammy. Mm-hmm. So all of the emphasis was put on the Crohn's at the time. Of course, having to change your diet to gluten-free for celiac. Mm-hmm. But in my case, it was um, heavy steroids, a lot of blood transfusions and a lot of pills. Wow. Yeah. And you still take these pills. You're going to be taking pills for the rest of your life? I'll be on pills for life. Yeah. What does your
0: pill regimen look like?
1: Uh, My pill regimen is twice a day right now. Uh, Morning and night. I'm actually supposed to take pills four times a day, but that doesn't work with my life, you know, because my life would really be wrapped around the disease and that's Mm -hmm. not the way I want to live my life. So just in the morning when I brush my teeth and when I go to bed at night, I take my pills and... Mm take the majority in the morning, but I'm very fortunate to have never had surgery um, like some patients because there's definitely varying degrees of Crohn's disease, and it can be lethal in the end, as you know. Mm-hmm. And um, everyone has their own journey with the disease, mm-hmm. but it's, it's pretty nasty. Yeah.
0: Pretty nasty. How does it affect you present day? Crohn's
1: disease. I mean, it... It does dominate my life. Right now, I would say I'm in remission mm-hmm. in that I don't experience major flare-ups, but I, I do have symptoms of joint pain and still running to the bathroom frequently. Yeah, It affects my life in a lot of ways um, and in, in terms of being spontaneous. I think as we were talking earlier um, before the podcast, just I can't be spontaneous with my plans in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, going to Whistler for a night suddenly or staying out all night at the club, you know, dancing until 2 a.m. while I would have missed a dose of pills at that time. Everything sort of takes Mm pre-planning and uh, also with traveling, just knowing your environment and is that going to be a safe place for you to go or not?
0: Right. That would be super significant. Um, Just even would the resources for your health even be available in some of the places that you would want to travel?
1: Well, that's the big concern. Yeah. I mean, I've had experiences going to Thailand where nothing happened to me health-wise there. Although I did get, well, that's not entirely true. I did get very sick just from all the gluten exposure. But in terms of my Crohn's disease, that was relatively okay. But if anything had gone wrong, I don't know if they'd have the resources. you know, to look after me in the way that I needed. Yeah. So you do have to take that into consideration when you're traveling to certain countries. What's the, you know, how many bathrooms are going to be available? Am I going to be in a hostel? Am I going to be in a hotel? Mm-hmm. Am I going to be out on the field all day? Where
0: are the washrooms? Right. Things that so many of us, would just take for granted. Totally. Speaking of traveling though and resources... When have you ever had a holy shit moment with regards to pills or preparation on a trip? Well, Amanda, <laughs> funny you should ask. Isn't the holy shit funny? <laughs> Throw that one in there for you. Oh
1: man, I did have a recent experience. Yeah, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went up north to visit my brother. He lives in a little small town called Chetwynd, BC, where there is one Tim Hortons. And two grocery stores. Sounds like
0: Minden. (laughs) So
1: you know. Oh, yeah. You know. There's no resources. (laughs) We've got a few. But yeah. Okay. So this place is super tiny. Super tiny. So I got there on a Friday morning. And Friday night, I go to take my pills and realize, oh, my gosh, I'm missing one of my pills. I'm I'm on four different medications right now. And this one that I forgot in particular, I take 12 pills a day. So that's pretty significant. You can't just, meh. Like, I'll skip a few doses and it'll be okay. That's the one that, no, you can't. <laughs> like, this is the doozy. No, you can't. So, you know, being up north, that was a little bit scary. Um, there were no walk-in clinics that were open on the weekends, none that were open on the Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So the next option would be to go to a hospital, which I don't really want to wait and emerge, and I'm there to visit my brother, Luckily because it was still in BC we were able to transfer my prescription at a local pharmacy. They were able to import it from my one in Vancouver and I was able to get my emergency 3-day pill supply mm-hmm. for $45 filled. And I was super thankful that they had my pills up there cuz I really didn't think they would. No. I didn't know what I was going to do.
0: Yeah. I didn't know. How do you have to I actually have no idea geographically where that is. Do you have to fly there? Yeah, you can, you, can you can
1: drive, you can drive. It's about an hour and a half flight from Vancouver. You fly
0: into Fort St.
1: John and then from Fort St. John, you drive for an hour and a half to Chetwind. So it's a hike. Oh yeah. <laughs> what would your options have been if they didn't? We would have driven three hours to the hospital, um, to go to the Emerge to seek medical care because they would have had pills at the hospital. hmm but um, it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And that kind of made our day a little bit shitty. Yeah. Sorry. Probably another pun. <laughs> another shit pun. Another shit pun. Just, um, you know, because we had plans. We wanted to leave early and go drive off. We were going to go to uh, Tumblr Ridge and see the Dinosaur Museum that day. And suddenly that put a halt, a halt to our plans. Mm-hmm. But luckily it had a happy ending. And my brother was so concerned
0: yeah i bet yeah i yeah i totally understand where his concern would be coming from especially if you have to if the only other option would be driving for three hours to hope that there's enough resources and attention to help you live yeah that's a big deal
1: yeah but imagine being somewhere around the world and forgetting your pills yeah no or even going to ontario well, you can't transfer your prescription from BC to Ontario. So I would have had to go to a doctor either at a hospital or a walk-in clinic.
0: Is that specifically because of what the prescription is or just the transfer of prescription? Because I remember, I guess it was last year when Brett and I drove across Canada and he had run out of insulin. And I can't remember where in another province, but we definitely had his insulin filled Without a prescription? They called. They called and faxed the prescription from Hallie Halliburton. Okay. Halliburton to um, wherever we were. I want to say it was Kelowna. Kelowna or Kamloops or something like that. But anyway, it was when he ran out of his insulin. And yeah, and then it was just a... It wasn't actually as big a deal as we thought. He kind of panicked a little bit. Obviously, he would. That's what keeps him alive. That's his life juice. But yeah, I wonder. I wonder though, too, maybe just depending on whatever it is you know, the insulin must be more readily available. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? But yeah, I was thinking about this too, because when we were on the topic of chronic diseases and exhaustion and that reserve of energy, you mentioned a really cool theory that I've heard about in the past and it was the spoon theory. Yes. Let's elaborate on that.
1: Spoon theory introduced to me by my good friend, Catherine, Mm -hmm. um, But spoon theory is a good explanation for what life is like living with a chronic disease in terms of your energy levels, because I think that's something common across the board with everyone living with something chronic on a day-to-day basis is your energy levels are feeling zapped and depleted. Um, So sort of to explain spoon theory, it pertains to imagine you, Amanda, you now have Crohn's disease. And here is 12 spoons. And this is the spoons represent your energy levels of the day. And so you have to sort of decide with your activities throughout the day, how much you're going to exert yourself because you have to give up your spoon. So, you know, if you had to go get groceries in the morning and fill up your car with gas in the morning, that might take two spoons away immediately. Or even getting dressed in the morning might take a a spoon. So sometimes you might get to 1 p.m. and you already got rid of seven spoons and maybe you only only started with nine spoons that day. You know, it's it's always a limited amount of spoons. Mm -hmm. I guess the thought process is with a quote-unquote healthy person, they sort of have an unlimited amount of spoons the day is your oyster, and you know if you want to have a nap in the afternoon to recharge, then you feel recharged and ready to go out and and enjoy the rest of your day. But sort of living with lower energy levels, just dealing with your chronic illness, um, you know, you want to try to hold on to your spoons and always sort of try to keep at least one left over mm-hmm. by the end of the day because when you run out of spoons, your energy is toast, yeah. and you might wake up the next day and only have two spoons and you know that means you can't go to work that day that means you can't hang out with your family or friends that day Mm -hmm. that means you're not getting dressed you're not definitely not showering that day um
0: yeah have you ever experienced a full-on burnout oh gosh are we talking about health or work-wise? Well, <laughs> let's go with health first because if we related to the chronic disease, have you ever felt that Crohn's in particular, the chronic disease element of it, has, you know, you've you've given all your spoons this day or three days in a row and you are just burnt out and need to, like you said, today it is not showering. I am hanging out at home. I'm yep. not visiting my friends.
1: I've definitely experienced that. A lot yeah I mean it's hard to even think of a specific example Mm. to be honest but one of the things is knowing yourself and knowing how many spoons you have or knowing what how your actions today are going to affect your amount of spoons you're going to have tomorrow morning Mm -hmm. you know you really do sort of plan out your life that way I know if I'm going to work a night shift tonight then tomorrow morning and tomorrow afternoon I am a zombie and tomorrow evening you know, please don't have high expectations of me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's also in- important to communicate that with those around you in your life. Absolutely. You know, when you're
0: feeling drained. Definitely. I would think too that it's often, it's a common theme that comes up in the podcast is the ability to say no. You would have to have that just mastered with a chronic disease because of that burnout, y- you have to avoid that at all costs. You do. And you have to learn to say no, for mm-hmm. sure. I think it's hard for everyone. We kind of talked about that Why earlier. Why is that so hard, though? Yeah. Expectations, perceived expectations, expectations that we imagine that society or our family or our partner have of us.
1: We don't want to want to let people
0: down. Absolutely. You know, we're people oh. pleasers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All of us are on on some level, for sure. Yeah. I was going to ask you, too, because another common theme that has been coming up in the podcast has been introvert versus extrovert, recharging, lifestyle balance, all of that goodness. All of that good stuff. Yeah, I love it all. (laughs) Would you say that you present as an introvert or an extrovert? And when it comes to how you recharge, what would you say you fall under? I definitely identify as an introvert. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, But it's funny. I think we all sort of are able to be an extrovert at times when times necessitate it. Mm -hmm. If you're in a big group setting and, or you're going to a party and you're ready and you want to socialize, I can definitely be extroverted. And I do like talking with new people and making new connections and learning more about my environment. But at the same time, I, I am definitely introverted um, I think all of my friends and family and loved ones definitely know that about me already. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm not afraid to say no. Yeah, No to plans. No to hangouts. I, o- I only have three days off this week. I know it sounds like I have three full days off, but I'm not available to hang out on any of those days because I need them all to myself.
0: I so highly respect that not just because like you say you're probably on some level prepping for a night shift or or you know making sure that you're reserving your energy with your chronic illness all of these things and i think that is incredible <laughs> that you do take that time out for yourself i know friends of mine actually that in their agendas or on their calendars whether it's weekly or monthly will actually block off days for themselves and we'll stick to it. And it does take practice to just put an X over a day and no matter what comes up it's like, "Oh, but so and so asked me out for lunch. You can go the next day or you can go next week or you can go right now, not on that day that you've blocked off because yeah. Yeah. It's when we get into that pattern of just saying yes to everything, burnout is not good. It's detrimental. Absolutely it is. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you see that though in the medical workplaces that you've been where people do experience that burnout or that would have to take lots of time off I know I see it all the time in teaching that people have that it's well that's more of like a compassionate burnout type thing as well right (laughs) but the fact that you just put everything into your career or the life that you're trying to live that you do you just exhaust yourself on every level
1: oh absolutely I think there's a lot of nurses who are burnt out Mm -hmm. One of the ways I sort of combat that is I do not pick up overtime. Mm. I could probably work overtime every single day on my days off. Mm -hmm. They would be happy to have me because it's not just my unit I can work on. I can work on all the critical care units in the hospital. Um, But since July, I actually turned off the notification setting at my work. So my work staffing may not contact me via phone, email, or text. I'm not working any overtime. I don't want to hear about it. Don't ask me. I'm not interested. I'm not coming in on a day off. That is one way I say no on a regular basis. I'm not working beyond my 49 hours.
0: 49? Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah. But, but we do get days off. So when you're working, it's 12 hour, 15 minutes. And you work two day shifts and two night shifts. Mm-hmm. So working your four shifts, that's 49 hours all of a sudden not to mention the time you're getting there early, you mm-hmm. know, commuting to work. I'm, yeah. I'm out of my house 14 hours a day. So that's well over 50 hours. Yeah. But then you get five days off. So I don't think it'd be fair to say I work, you know, 49 hours a week because it's not every single week. If you were to look at it in a month's time, it probably averages out to about Thirty-seven or thirty-eight hours a week, mm-hmm. but when I do work my set, I work for forty-nine hours in in four shifts. Yeah, so it's exhausting. I I couldn't imagine working anything
0: beyond that. Mm-mm. But a lot of people do. Yeah, and they do take on the overtime.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I'm very fortunate. You know, I'm not paying a mortgage. I don't have a house and kids to look after. Just myself. And so I don't have to work to send my kids to private school or to make an education fund for the kids or family vacations and whatnot. I can spend my money on anything I want or save as much as I want. So yeah. I don't have nearly as many um,
0: responsibilities as a lot of my coworkers do. That's a super valid point. That's yeah. A, yeah. Very valid point. Especially too, because Vancouver is very expensive. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous ridiculous yeah. I yeah I've got friends of mine that have just bought a place that is I don't I don't know I just feel like their monthly bills mortgage everything taxes included is thousands of dollars I just a bit puked I'm thinking that's just unbelievable. crazy and it's not even a gigantic place so yeah no anyway it is what it is but that's just kind of where for me the whole rent poor thing actually Justin and I talked about that earlier um just about the, the being just being rent poor or being, having a, a lifestyle that just has you living super, super tight like that. Yeah. That's rough. So many people do it.
1: I know people spend- Choices, more,
0: life choices. People
1: spend more than 50% of their income on rent
0: here mm. in Vancouver. That's why I was super stoked to take a $500 all-inclusive room in a house. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> that I can actually, because wow. then- I know. Well, really, because if it is just me, right- and I'm spending so much time in the mountains as it is, anyway, as much as I can. And I, you know, being able to be in a safe, warm, cozy place in a great location. That extra money that I'm saving, even in rent, I could have a bigger, better place. I'm sure I could for, you know, $750, 800 $900 sure. a month. But then those extra few hundred dollars a month over the course of several months adds up so quickly. And I also look at it too. It's like, okay, so if I had a bigger bedroom or I had a better quote unquote location, I think my location is great because it's very central to the friends that I've got out in Abbotsford, Langley, Surrey, here... It's just a good location for me, especially because I'm working for the Surrey District School Board. So being there for 500 inclusive a month, if I was to even up that to 750 that $250 extra in my head is going to the gym, like whether it's a oh, gym yeah. membership or going to yoga or going out with friends or the extra gas money that I need to commute for my job. Whatever. Tickets, Makes groceries, such food. such a big difference. Mega. hmm Yeah, gigantic. What's that? Yeah. jess is asking if you're are you taking oh, it out
1: 15 seconds 15
0: seconds until quiche
1: okay the oven mitts please wear <laughs> oven mitts <laughs> <laughs> not, like not like you wouldn't not like you wouldn't well you've thinking. had a couple glasses of wine it's just a safety reminder Oh jessica
0: okay there it goes oh, okay the thank you jessica let it cool down and then we will meet you there for some quiche i have a few more questions for you my friend yeah i'd love to know what you're reading because I was, I was definitely, I always check out someone's bookshelf. Bookshelves oh, yeah. can tell you so much about a person and I already knew I liked you. But then I saw your bookshelf and I was like, wow, I really like this girl. So you have so many books in there that I've, I've read or even have on my own bookshelf. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So I, and we just mentioned Brain on Fire, which actually a friend of mine, Dana. Hi, Dana. Dana's, <laughs> Dana's a very good listener of the podcast. Uh, she's actually currently reading Brain on Fire.
1: That's a great book. It
0: is a great book. And if you have not read it, Brain on Fire is a fabulous read. I have a squirrel brain and my brain goes very quickly. And I often have a hard time switching my brain off to read more than just a couple pages at one sitting. Um, but that was when I read in two sittings. It just captured your attention. A hundred percent. I could not put it down. I think it was because for brain on fire, you, it, I found that I just could not believe what I was reading. I was like, this is someone's life. I know. It's yeah. so crazy. It, it is a fabulous read. So yes, brain on fire for sure. So what are you reading right now though? Well, I just
1: started the Michelle Obama book, mm-hmm. actually, Becoming. Yes. I borrowed that from my mom um, because she, it was sitting on her desk and she had no plans to read it for a few months. I'm only about 10 pages in, though. Yeah, I just finished a really great book. I can't remember the author, um, but it's called The Moscow Rules, and it's a book about Moscow, Russia, mm-hmm. in um, during the Cold War era Ooh. and just about the CIA and how they sort of infiltrated Moscow and wore crazy disguises and all the the ways that they had to, I don't know, outsmart the KGB. Wow. Was it a long read? A difficult read? It was. It only took me a few days to read. You're... It, it was a pretty easy read because it was such an interesting book. Yeah. But I guess the, the sort of types of books that I like to read are more real stories for mm-hmm. sure so non-fiction books yeah sometimes you have to read an easier trashy kind of a book oh, just for sure. To, just to sort of reset it's like watching a disney movie after fluffy. seeing a horror movie yeah for <laughs> you sure you,
0: a fluffy girly read that you can just rip through yeah for sure um when you were just talking about you know the nonfiction stuff did you ever read unbroken no what's that book it's it's a world war it's a oh world war Two. Uh, fabulous fabulous story I don't want to give too much of it away there's a um, I actually listened to the audiobook driving across Canada and it's just a story of this runner who basically came from nothing and is just an incredible athlete and a war hero oh wow very cool story very very cool story mm-hmm. and true story yes Yeah. definitely check it out oh we like that yes <laughs> and I have uh, two more questions oh yes ready for these kind of curveball-y I'm ready what do you want to be known for Oh,
1: big question. I'm going to throw
0: that one out. Hey, Jess Bushell, because Jess Bushell, one of my bestie, bestie, besties back in Ontario, uh, she and I, we have some pretty cool chats about, um, well, just everything in life. Let's get real. (laughs) I miss her so much. Um, But I gave her this book and it's called 52 Lists and it's just a list of, it's a book of lists that you can work through one a week just to get your brain going. And so she actually asked me that a few weeks ago. She's like, Hey Lytle, the list for this week is amazing. It's what do you want to be known for? And that got me thinking, but yeah, so I wanted to ask you that because I think that this is going to be something that I start to ask my guests. So you get to be the first one.
1: Well, what do I want (laughs) to be known for? My quiche for sure. Yeah. But I think I'm already known for that in my Uh, tight little circle. Yeah. Um, I just want all the people that I've interacted with or who matter to me in my life, I want to be known in their lives that I made a difference mm-hmm. or that I touched their lives in some way, in some significant way. That's beautiful.
0: Yeah? Like, like, a, positive, like <laughs> a positive influence or someone that was able to hold space for them for sure.
1: Yeah. I guess everyone sort of wants to feel needed, mm-hmm. you know, and I just want to know that, I made a difference in people's lives. I don't know if that's a nursing kind of thing, not necessarily. Mm. But, you know, I I like to know that I'm an active participant in my friends' lives and I know what's going on. And um, I like to be a good listener. I just want to be known for being someone who's dependable and Mm. a great friend.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Great answer. (laughs) I've got one more for you. Oh, gosh. (laughs) What are you most proud of? What am I most proud of?
1: I'm proud of a lot of things I've accomplished in my life. But I think the biggest thing personally is accomplishing my own goals. Mm. Um, I always have a running list in my phone, but there's never a goal I've had that I did not achieve. That is awesome. You know. Yeah. There's always goals you're still working towards. I'm only 32. There's still so much of my life left yeah. to live and uh-huh. experience, but all the the major things I wanted to do with my life, move out to Vancouver. I wanted to buy my first car four years ago. You know, I wanted to learn how to paint my walls by myself or learn how to cook a Thanksgiving dinner. I've always sort of gone after my goals and that's something hmm. I'm I am proud of. It's okay to be proud of your goals. Yes, it is. And that's why (laughs) I
0: also encourage that. Besides being vulnerable, I really encourage people to feel proud. Feel proud of your accomplishments. And it's okay to be proud. It's okay to want to show off things that you've done or have made or experiences that you've had. For sure. Yeah. I'm actually going to elaborate on that. This is kind of like an impromptu part of that. Is when it comes to things that you are proud of or your goals, so you've said that, you know, goals that you've set, you obviously have some that you're working towards, but the ones that you've now achieved, what would be a goal that you'd be happy to share with us that you're currently working towards?
1: Um, perhaps a certain financial goal. Yep. You know, I'm not going to disclose the amount of money, but, Mm -hmm. um about a year ago, I started to put away X amount of dollars a month. And that's not something I'd done before. I always Mm -hmm. just sort of paid all my bills and, you know, saved the rest and whatever's left over. That was just what I had. Yeah. But um, yeah, in recent times, about a year ago, I decided to actually make a financial goal to save a certain amount monthly. And whether that means I don't get to buy that pair of boots this month, I'm going to have to put it off that's okay with me because I'm achieving my goals. What am I saving for? Now that I don't know if I can answer that question because I don't think I actually know. I'm just saving for my future.
0: <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. I, I, th- I just disclosed actually last week that I've really started investing my listening time or my driving time into listening to a podcast called Her Money with mm-hmm. Jean Chatzky. And I'm really enjoying her perspectives. And I love that you just mentioned money or that, you know, you're this independent woman with a fabulous career and that you're really focusing on finance. So kudos to you, girlfriend. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Amanda. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. This has been so much fun and I'm stoked about eating this quiche.
1: I'm so excited for you to try it. And <laughs> thanks. Thanks so much for having
0: me. Yeah. You will definitely be back. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> thank you. There you go, guys. Another episode of the safe Haven podcast. Please make sure that you subscribe, like, rate review and share these episodes and comment as you follow along your generous support keeps the sharing and messages coming your way you can find the safe haven podcast on spotify apple podcast podbean google play podcasts iheart radio and stitcher i also invite you to follow along on instagram at the safe haven podcast for the latest updates i'll talk to you next week